All right. So, um, man, it's been, I think, when's the last time I saw you? I think it's been a minute. Shot show. Shot show, right? Yeah. 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 Man, that was a long time ago. I know. Back Um, when we could (laughs) see everybody in person for real. Man, it's nuts how time just changed from then till now. Like, and and it, it really wasn't, like, it was a long, it's been a long time, but in the, grand scheme of things it's not been that long considering how different things are yeah indeed and yeah, it just seems like yesterday right we were at shot yeah. show just hanging out having dinner and seeing all of our colleagues and friends and boy <laughs> <laughs> now it's just like Groundhog's day every day feels like it's sort of the same so i'm glad to yeah. be chatting with you because at least i'm like okay like this is a li- li- little bit different for yeah me. yeah no absolutely so man you know you know you and i you know we've had a friendship and we've known each other for some time now a lot of people probably don't know that as much um but uh, what i wanted to do is kind of have you on to talk about you know recently there have been this kind of spade of violence directed towards uh, Asian Americans and Asian people in general here in the country. Um, so what I wanted to do was kind of get a perspective from from that side um, in terms of some of the dynamics involved as far as the Asian community, how from your perspective they're approaching it, um, and then kind of go a little bit deeper into the kind of overall ideology behind the Asian community with respect to the Second Amendment. Now, I say that with this caveat, I understand that, you know, everybody's perspective is going to be a little different, um, even if, you know, you got two, three, four, five or eight Asian people in the room. Right. Um, but I definitely wanted to get your perspective since I do know you and then kind of talk about some of those issues. So just want to kind of jump right into it personally. Um, is that something that sits at the top of your mindset on a daily basis considering or is that something that you're just aware of and you just kind of go about life as normal? Yeah, you know, for me, I think it comes as no surprise that racism and aggression and attacks against Asian Americans is not new. There, there have been attacks for the past decades, right? It's, yeah. it's, so that's sort of, I think, the foundational part of, of, you know, kind of being a minority is just sort of part of the, the minority experience in America, where I think uh, it's pretty safe to say that, right, racism against Asians, Latinos, African-Americans is sort of, it's a sort of existed forever. Now, what is, I think, unique and distinct about the Asian-American experience is that our response to many of these attacks is usually to be quiet about it, right? That we don't kick up a lot of dust. We don't typically have protests. We don't have you know GoFundMe's for any any of this and that, but that's really changed over the past year or so. And, and I think COVID was the beginning of Asian Americans, uh, myself included, were we're we're literally trying to find our voice in yeah. speaking out against these racist attacks. And like I mentioned, I think so. Let's start back to what I was just saying about many Asian Americans are often very quiet when were either, uh, you know, the target of racist uh, words or uh, assaults and and other crimes. And so I think a lot of that comes from, uh, it's a cultural thing. And what I mean by that is Asian Americans, a lot of Asian cultures encourage putting your head down and staying Mm -hmm. quiet and not not calling attention to your problems, right? There's very much this pride and self-sufficiency and taking care of business without 
burdening your family, without burdening your friends or the community with your problems. So even if you are the victim of a crime, you maybe aren't even going to report that to the police because it- you don't want to attract negative attention to yourself. Or there's this other dynamic of you don't want to bring shame to your family. That's what I think a lot of our silence revolves around is it's it, it, being being I think Asian in general is usually around how do you preserve your family's integrity and mm-hmm. your family's reputation and anything that puts your family's name at risk is generally frowned upon right and so typically being quiet is uh, kind of the main approach to avoid any potential shame or uh, negative consequences. So do you think so if I'm if I'm understanding you correctly is there so there is a component of being victimized as being seen as something as shameful? Um, um, maybe not so directly like that. Mm-hmm. It, it's more um, if you are a victim that there's maybe some, well, yeah, I mean, maybe there's some shame in calling yeah, it. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. It's sort of like, okay, obviously it sucks if you are a victim, right? If, if you've been robbed or assaulted, I mean, right, that, that's just universally terrible. But yeah, I guess what I'm saying is we're often discouraged from like making a big deal about it in the media, right? Like, like, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Right. It's like, I wouldn't like post to Facebook saying, right, Oh, I just got mugged or, um, I mean, I would <laughs> in general, most Asians would not like they yeah. would not post this on social media. They would not go to the mainstream media or local news, um, and, and talk about crimes that have happened to them. Um, I, I think there's some other common threads with the Asian American community's relationship to law enforcement that are very mm. similar to the black and Latino relations uh, as well, where basically there, there was a distrust of law enforcement in some parts of, of Asian American communities. So, Why is that? Um, I, I think part of this comes from um, country of origin. Okay. So okay. if you, for example, come from China and right, the, 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 the police state is seen as, a, as an oppressive force, and you come to the United States, right, for a better job, right, more, make more money, provide a better um, right, uh, experience for, your, for yourself and for your family, mm-hmm. you're likely to bring that distrust of law enforcement, right, to, to, to this country or literally whatever country yeah, uh, that you might, you might emigrate to. The language barrier is another, another part of, I think, what reinforces that distrust. Right? There's literally a communication barrier for those Asian Americans who do not speak English and, you know, whether you're of the opinion that everybody right should speak English here in America, which I generally encourage. I mean, I think it's yeah. generally encouraged that whatever country you live in, you should at least speak some of that native yeah. language. I, I agree with that, especially from a practical standpoint, you know, it just, it just makes things like for me, I'm hesitant to visit certain countries that I don't really know the, I don't really know the language just from a practical standpoint of being able to maneuver and, and you kind of find yourself at a much greater disadvantage um, when you don't know that the country of origins language, as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. And you know, obviously the, 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 the rub is when we get into justice, right? And mm-hmm. is justice served when somebody cannot report a crime that has been committed 
And then you can't even allow law enforcement to go pursue the criminal, the criminals, right? And then have the criminal justice system, right, run its course. So um, as, as much as I wish, right, that uh, you know, all Asian Americans uh, spoke, you know, English well enough to communicate to law enforcement, our reality is just that that's just not universally true. Um, so, right, there's this general right distrust of law enforcement. There's um, not I want to say general. There are some Asian Americans who distrust law enforcement. Um, but I would say there's a more universal influence from family, friends and the Asian American community to to be quiet about about just negative things that are happening to you or your family as a way of saving face. Yeah. Right. It's, it's basically a version of keeping up with the Joneses, right? Where mm. Asian American families yeah. often love to brag about their children and their accomplishments and, you know, whatever great jobs or what schools they've right. gotten into, but they sort of deny or stay quiet about any negative, negative. controversial things that might be happening in the family, right? And that all goes back to, again, that family pride, saving face, you know, upholding your family's legacy and reputation. Um, and and it's, a, it's, a, it's a reverence for your ancestors, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's everything that your family members, generations preceding you have done to provide this life for you here and today. Uh -huh. I here now, like, need to preserve that legacy both protecting the past and also right protecting the future gotcha so from a so my my thing is this how the, the first question that comes to mind when i hear that though is so then how do they take care of how do they protect themselves what do they do i mean i guess self-sufficiency is pretty much a mandatory at that point because if you're not if you're not going to utilize the things that are in place, and I don't mean this pejoratively or in a negative manner, but like you said, some people, there's an English, there's an English barrier there, so forth and so on. So my question then becomes, so what, so then what does generally speaking, how does the Asian community handle protecting itself or protecting themselves as individuals? Yeah. I mean, I think on the individual level, you, you know, I, I think we probably see more of a, you just don't protect yourself, which is kind of, the worst thing right that yeah. anybody can decide to do and obviously you and i are second amendment advocates and mm -hmm. naturally hey i support anybody's uh right inclination and of course their right to use a firearm in self-defense but right a firearm is not necessarily the weapon of choice for everybody mm -hmm. i'll use my family members here in san francisco as an example you know they're 70 and 80 years old like no way even if even if we did you know live in a in a city where you could conceal carry mm -hmm. no way would i advise that like my 70 and 80 year old relatives would would carry now that's because they're suffering from a number of mental health issues like alzheimer's and dementia gotcha right? gotcha because right? i was going to ask you about that so that, yeah okay that's yeah, interesting it's not because of their age mm -hmm. And the only reason I bring up age is because a lot of these anti-Asian American attacks have been against the elderly, which is some of the most disgusting, vile attacks. I mean, it's like literally like the lowest of low criminals, right? It's like if you go yeah. over any any community's old people or young people, mm -hmm. right, the people who just are less able to defend themselves, it's just super, super despicable. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's less about age with my my family members. It's much more about they lack the mental capacity 
and the physical capacity to safely handle and operate a firearm. But back to your question, you know, other ways that the community has been protecting itself more recently has been through community patrols, which I think okay. is highly advised for any community, right? It's, yeah, of it's course. If, if we want to have strong communities and strong neighborhoods, each of us has to be involved and engaged on some level. And I think pounding the pavement, right, being, you know, having a right visible hats or I know right vest or t-shirts or just something that visibly displays a show of force to criminals and say, hey, our community is watching, right? We are looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. And I think community patrols has been um, uh, a, a very successful tactic as is, um, you know, passing out tasers and pepper spray. Uh, I've seen whistles, flashlights, um, you know, those have been some other tools and, and, and weapons that have been uh, distributed for free by a number of nonprofit groups that are looking to uh, arm and protect patrol and to mm-hmm. escort anybody, uh, right, who, who feels unsafe uh, and, right, needs, uh, needs, needs uh, protection around their neighborhood. Gotcha. So from a so everyone's familiar at this point with the rooftop Koreans during the L.A. riots. Um, but from your perspective, how does the Asian community approach the Second Amendment? Do they care about the Second Amendment? What, what, how, what is that relationship like directly? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, you know, I think it helps to start maybe at sort of the top level with Asian Americans, I think, involvement in, in the political debate mm-hmm. and policy debate. We are one of the least we are one. We are the least involved ethnic minority and and we're almost not involved, like from a Mm -hmm. statistical percentage, we're almost just not involved. Uh, There was this great testimony by actor Daniel Day Kim Mm -hmm. a few months ago. Uh, He testified in in front of Congress and, and he basically learned from a pollster that when political polls are broken down by, by or political right, polls and questions are broken down by race, mm-hmm. most of the time you don't see Asians broken out as a category like African-Americans, Latinos, and whites. And the reason the pollster said is because we're statistically insignificant, which means Asians don't matter when it comes to having influence or having a voice or participating in civic discussion and debate, which is something is that, that by, that's that's by choice, though, right? Yeah. So I think you know, peeling the onion back. Uh, I think the the summary is yes, that's okay. by choice. Sure, there's other things like language. Back to the language barrier mm. piece, um, but it, it's. It really comes, I think, from a place of self-sufficiency, that there's this, I would say, general overriding attitude in Asian American communities where, which is basically, I don't need the government to help me. I don't want the government to help me. I just want to be left alone to write, run my business, to just have my regular job. Um, But I think when you start thinking and talking about the Second Amendment within Mm. the Asian American community, (laughs) to to borrow a term from uh, our our liberal brothers and sisters, all this wokeism and wokeness that's uh, taking over our country, Mm. uh, there is 
there is an awakening <laughs> in the Asian American community about how the Second Amendment applies to not just Asian Americans, but obviously to all Americans, specifically with Asians though, right? COVID, again, right, this has been a flashpoint with in this increase in violence against Asian Americans. Now you couple that with defund the police, right? Okay. If you hear defund the police, you see all these riots and, and civil unrest, right, that has taken over our country over the past year. And the conclusion for many Asians has been, oh, crap. <laughs> if the police can't be there for me, right, if 911 literally just doesn't work, right, when, when mm. I need help, then right, who, who, who out there is going to defend me? And obviously, you and I know that the answer is every person needs to be their first <laughs> line of defense. And so, so there's where, right, buying a gun, right, is, is mm -hmm. a very logical conclusion for Asian Americans. So do you think it's, do you think that the Asians now that are kind of seeing this and understanding this perspective, or do you think they are of a di different generation? Because um, from my perspective, seeing as how they kind of already kind of have an apprehension towards utilizing the police, and of course, you know, the language bearer and so forth and so on. Do you think it's the younger generation that's doing this versus the older generation, considering they are they already kind of were like the police. Yeah, whatever. We don't we don't interact with them anyway. Um, or do you think this is multifaceted as far as generation? No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, this is definitely a, a shift in the younger generation of, of Asian Americans here. And, and I think the, the the root explanation is back to the country of origin. Right. So. Uh -huh. Many Asian countries, with few exceptions, mm -hmm. the Philippines and Thailand, I think, are the two main countries that come to mind where there is a concept of personal firearms ownership. But China, Japan, Korea, and a number of other Asian countries, right? if you come from those countries here to the United States, mm -hmm. I would venture to say that almost 100% of those immigrants from those countries are not coming to America for Second Amendment rights. Gotcha. Uh, this is like <laughs> rarely a reason why an immigrant wants to come to America, right? It's usually about better job opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. Education, um, something along those lines. So if you have- You know, you know what I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I will say this though, ironically enough, and I agree with you for the most part, However, I do see a difference when we start talking about Cubans and people coming from Venezuela. Um, when I've talked to them in the countless interviews that I've done, they've mentioned at the top of it freedom. Um, and, I, and, I, and I take it a lot of it has to do with the way those particular countries are, you know, currently find themselves. Um, but other than that, I generally speaking agree with you with respect to most most immigrants. They usually come. They're not coming for they're not going to at the top of their mind. They're not thinking I'm going over there for freedom, I'm going there for the opportunity. And, and I guess to a certain degree, you could say there's the kind of there's a kind of synonym in that sense, um, in that, I guess, opportunity and freedom. Kind, there's some overlaps. But for the most part, like you said, it's usually for education, better jobs, um, more financial opportunities, more than yeah. anything. And so, right, if, if your first or second generation family members are not gun owners, then there's, mm -hmm. I would say, a, a, a low likelihood that your older generations are going to transfer any notion of Second Amendment 
yeah. concepts or <laughs> just the simple, just even the simple notion of going to shoot a gun, right? Let's, let's just even put ownership, <laughs> you know, on the, on the table for, you know, off yeah. the table for a second, just, just that w whether your family just goes to the shooting range or even has friends or other family members who own a gun that you just go shoot recreationally, right? The, the chances greatly decrease unless you have that, that heritage and that family tradition has to start somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. And that's yeah, I mean, universal for right, all families, but right, with Asian Americans, there's just a, a much lower percentage of first or second generation Asian Americans who either know how to shoot, shoot for a hobby or own a gun. So it is this younger generation that is, is driving um, a lot of uh, new gun sales, uh, going to the range and, and you know, also, again, uh, waking up to the fact that the Second Amendment is one of the key ways that we can all protect ourselves from any um, you know, external, external threats right, that, that may be coming upon ourselves or our family. You know, it, it, it always fascinated me because, you know, for a lot of the people that are coming over here, you know, they say like they come over for the opportunity, the financial opportunity, and then they kind of everything else just kind of goes to the wayside, almost as if they don't even realize that it exists in a lot of ways, um, which is odd to me, considering they generally speaking are coming from places that severely restrict their freedom. And so I've never really truly understand it, you know, even being, you know, a person who's born to immigrants, you know, I kind of got the same mentality as well. Uh, I'm the first person in my family who really kind of took on took on the Second Amendment, so to speak. I wasn't taught the Second Amendment in my home. And so it was interesting to me how they come from places that don't really have a lot in the way of freedoms, but then they get to the freest country in the world. And it's almost like they I, I don't even know if saying taking it for granted is the right way. It's like they don't even take advantage. Um to a degree and so, so yeah you, you bring up a really good point and i guess uh to take a personal uh anecdote mm -hmm. you know uh living here in california you know before before all of uh you know before i won top shot before i really even uh started paying attention to second amendment stuff um i didn't realize how not free I'm here in California when it comes to gun control and, and gun rights, right? It's, gotcha. I, I just thought that, oh, having a bullet button AR was just a normal the thing. thing. And, yeah. Oh, you know, I can't buy a Gen 4 Glock, but I can buy Gen 3 Glocks here in California because we have this handgun roster. I just thought, oh, that's just sort of the just way things <laughs> are. And, and so a big part of, I think, um, the where this lack of engagement from stems from partially just education and awareness, right? And, and yeah. it wasn't until I learned that you living in Texas have like almost like maximum, you yeah. know, second amendment rights. I just didn't even understand until somebody either told me or I saw it with my own eyes that there is a huge disparity of second amendment freedoms in our country, right? And it varies by state in San Francisco where I live. I have even less rights than I do as a general California resident, right? So it's like yeah. my rights continue to shrink down, right? Depending on my geographic location, which is not freedom. Like that is just, it's just discriminatory yeah. based on whatever, right? Politicians happen to be, um, you know, calling the shots. I, I wonder if some of it has to do with the fact that when a lot of immigrants come here, 
they're in survival mode. Where it's like, you know, I, I had to do whatever I need to do to get by and then get to a point where then, OK, now that I'm, a, I'm in a position where I can get by now, how do I establish, a, establish myself further so I can provide a better life for my kids than what I had? And then I think the kids benefit from the work put in by the by the parents um, now, because now they get to kind of use what their parents have built as almost a stepping stone. Now they can go to the colleges that they want and they have more or less the privilege of engaging in the philosophical discussion about the Second Amendment or any other matters that they that they so choose. Whereas our parents or my parents and other people like me come here and they're like they, they, gave, they got tunnel vision. It's like I'm not. I'm not worried about what this conversation is, the Second Amendment, what, not, whatever. I'm trying to figure out how I'm supposed to feed these kids and make a living for myself. Um, and so I think I wonder how much of that plays a part into the, I guess, apathy that a lot of immigrants have who come over here with respect to the Second Amendment. Yeah, um, I, I, I think it's, it's another great point that this sort of survival mode and I mean, really just focus on provide, making enough money to right, get sort of to that next part, next phase of your own personal American dream. And I mean, we've all heard stories about immigrants who were you know, working two or three jobs, right? Working 12 to 16 hour work days. And if you are so exhausted from just doing your job, I mean, right, you just have less mental bandwidth and capacity to think about voting rights, about the Second Amendment, about any of these other issues that um, maybe facing our, our, you know, our country and community. And um, I think the other thing to keep in mind about Asian Americans is we're, we're often um, a pretty insular community mm-hmm. where, you know, if you just think about the concept of like Chinatowns, right, across the country, um, you know, a lot of, you know, Chinese tend to sort of stick to other Chinese, you know, to other Chinese people and, 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 you know, Japanese stay, you know, stick around with Japanese people kind of all mm-hmm. the same. Now, that wasn't my experience growing up. I mean, I grew up in, in Orange County mm-hmm. in Southern California, and I sort of had, you know, my rainbow coalition of friends. And yes, of course, I had like a lot of Asian friends, but actually I like mostly white friends. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was that's been my experience growing up. Is uh, Would you say that's the reason why you you play such a high importance on the second amendment. Do you think that the way you grew up, contrary to, I guess, the typical um, bubble that I guess somebody in your position would find themselves in, do you think that played a part in you seeing the importance of the second amendment? Well, or? I, I, I guess maybe just talking out loud for a second, you know, my, mm-hmm. my involved, like my introduction to firearms was through my father. My okay. father was first generation American born in Philadelphia. He served in the United States Navy and that okay. was his introduction to firearms. He was a navigator and a P3 Orion you know, aircraft and didn't, so he didn't shoot any kind of guns as part of his, uh, service, yeah. but it's just part of, you know, officer candidate school, right? You got to like learn how to shoot some guns. Yeah. Um, but what I think is interesting about my parents and the way that they raised me. So my parents never encouraged me to speak up about anything, but I just did it anyway. Okay. Right. So <laughs> I've, I've never been the quiet type. Mm-hmm. And while my parents never encouraged me to speak up, uh, never did they discourage me either. They're very kind of do, say, do with thy will. Order. Okay. Right. It was always like my parents always, I think, kind of said, Chris is going to do whatever he wants to do. And we trust him 
to make good choices. And if I make bad choices that mm -hmm. they're going to allow me to accept those consequences, right? Gotcha. Good, bad, or the ugly. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I've, I've not been a second amendment advocate for most of my life. It's only been since my post top shot when, and that was in 2012. Yeah. Only for the past nine years have I you know, been very vocal about, uh, you know, second amendment rights. And, and I think, um, yeah, a big part of that is because my parents have been less of the type to say, Chris, like, be quiet. Like, Chris, don't bring shame upon the family. Like, that's, that's not been so much my experience as an Asian American, but mm -hmm. I, I'm highly aware that that's, that's that sort sense. of not typical. Like, but yeah, I, I would say if, if I had other, if I had standard Asian American parents, uh -huh. they would be a story. telling me to not talk about guns, don't go on this guy Colin Noir show. Like, <laughs> he's a big deal. Don't talk about it. Like, you might say something dumb and like put the family's yeah. you know name at risk. Um, but thankfully, my parents, yeah, they're 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 very supportive. And uh, I, I mostly want to accomplish this, which is I want to encourage Asian Americans to think about the Second Amendment, to think about these personal civil liberties that we have in our country. And like it or not, it often takes somebody who either looks like you, sounds like you, and in this case, I'm Asian. And whether you like it or not, the messenger matters. And I think Asians hearing this message that gun ownership can be good, right? And it's about putting guns in the hands of good people. Yeah. Guns in the hands of bad people will result in bad things, but it's obviously not the gun that's, that's within itself it's not good or bad, it's just neutral. And unless Asians hear more Asian Americans, right, talking about gun ownership and that, hey, just because you see some mass shooting and some asshole killing people with guns, that doesn't mean that you or me who are responsible gun owners have anything to do with that kind of violence. And it's that simple message that, and we obviously you and I have been involved in this for so long, we just know yeah. this is, we, 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 we have to do the hard grassroots work of saying this over and over and over again and in as many kind of different uh, iterations uh, in, in order to reach as many people as, yeah. as we can. So that, that's really my goal here is to um, kind of continue this wokeness. And I obviously say that with some some uh, con uh, resentment, but whatever. It's, it's uh, an effective word. Everyone, wake up, wake up, Second Amendment, it's for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Well, man, I really do appreciate you coming on and, and having a conversation. Um, you know, you find yourself in Dallas, you need to come to the studio, and we can do an in-studio podcast and talk about a whole plethora of things. We can break down your experience on Top Shot, give us all the juices, all that, all the all the gossip so forth and so absolutely, on. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely make my way to Dallas uh, soon enough, and yeah, it would be great to have a uh, an extended, uh, continuing conversation on, uh, all this and more. Absolutely, man. Thank you very much, man. Cool, man. See ya.